0: Um, yeah, my name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at God First. And um, by that reception, maybe if you knew, <laughs> I haven't been up here for the last almost two years preaching. And it's by God's grace that I'm here this morning. And by many, many of your prayers and services and faithful walking alongside Meigs and I over the last year and a half. Um, so I just want to give him glory right up front. <clears throat> I wonder if um, you've ever had a question for God that you've asked Him, perhaps in a time of difficulty, that you didn't get an answer to. A question you kept coming back to Him with over and over again. Something you prayed about, but you didn't hear, get answered. Um, last year for me and I, there was one question that just kept coming to the forefront of my mind over and over again. And the reason this question kept coming up Again and again, it's because of August 11th of 2021, I'll never forget it, I was sitting in a little dark uh, ultrasound room in a Rosebank hospital when this ultrasound tech came in who'd just done a scan on me, and uh, I didn't really know him at all. I was planning to go back to my GP to get the results later in the week, and he's like, do you want to know? Because you can know. He's like, yeah, I found a lump, and it's cancer. And the floor kind of just dropped out from underneath me, and he's like, I called your GP already. He wants you to come back and see him right now. So I drove down to the GP, and he explained to me that he'd already made an emergency appointment for me the next day with his urologist, and I went there with Meigs this time the next day. And the urologist explained to us what was happening, and he said he'd already booked for tomorrow an emergency surgery for me to have one of my testicles removed. And That was a real bummer, because I was both very connected, figuratively and literally, to both my balls. (laughs) You're not allowed to laugh at the cancer guy, okay? Uh, Anyway, over the next few days and weeks and months, um, as I went through uh, chemo after chemo and then surgery after surgery and then high-dose chemo after high-dose chemo, the same question just kept coming up. I go to sleep asking it and I wake up asking the same question over and over again. It colored everything about my life and the question really was, God, am I going to get to live or not? (laughs) Are you going to save my life? I asked this question on behalf of my wife, obviously, you know, was she going to have to live without me? On behalf of my four kids, you know, would they be able to be raised without me? On behalf of this church that I'm part of and my work, but, but selfishly, mostly, I asked the question for me, you know, God, are you going to save my life or not? Maybe you're here this morning and you have a question that's similar to mine. Maybe it's not as dramatic, you know, maybe it's, am I going to make it to the end of the month, financially this month? Will my marriage ever be good again, God? How am I going to deal with being let go from my job? Well, I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer before I answer that question and we tackle a question that Joshua asked of God in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So think of this as a little teaser for what's to come. But let me start off just by praying for us quickly. Father God, We know that you're the one with all the answers. You're the one who's in control. You sit on your throne. And um, we come this morning uh, looking for some of those answers, Father God. And I pray that as I speak, you would take my words and you would mix them with the Holy Spirit. And what I say would be more than just what I say, but that you would be able to speak into people's hearts this morning. And the Holy Spirit would make their hearts fertile soil to hear from you this morning, not just from me, Father God. Amen. So you'll remember, we're in the fifth part of our Joshua series. Um, We've been going through this the last four weeks, and things really heat up this morning as we finally reach the part in the story that Joshua's really famous for. Some of you, if you've been Christians long enough, like me, you might even remember having sung about this in Sunday school when you were a little kid. So make me sing it by myself now. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the... Walls came tumbling down. It went a little bit better than I thought it was going to go. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so this morning, uh, just to give you some context, we're in this battle of Jericho. And i got to tell you, when I was a small kid, every time we spoke about the battle of Jericho and Joshua, my chest would kind of puff up because I'm like, yeah, that's the guy in the Bible named after me. <laughs> my name is also Josh. It took me a while to realize that he wasn't so much named after me as I had been named after him. Um, but yeah, just to give you some context, the Israelites had been freed out of Egypt. they have been wandering out in the desert for the last 40 years. And at the beginning of the book of Joshua, they finally approach the promised land, this land that God has promised to them. And Joshua has been made a new leader in place of Moses. And God has told him throughout the first few chapters of the book of Joshua just to be strong and courageous and to obey. Don't turn to the left or to the right from my word, and things will go successfully for you, Joshua. This is pretty much the golden thread of this whole series of the book of Joshua that we've been doing, which is that God is faithful to fulfill His promises to those who trust and courageously obey Him. So Dave unpacked a few weeks ago how God miraculously split the River Jordan so the Israelites could cross over on dry land. Last week, Don unpacked how God told Joshua to take 12 stones out of the dry riverbed of the River Jordan and to build them into a memorial so the Israelites could remember this incredible miracle that God had done for the Israelites. And Don went further to say that we are called to be living memorials to God, that point to God in the same way. So Joshua has finally fully taken the mantle of Moses. He's the new leader of Israel. He's had this incredible miracle of seeing the River Jordan split. But the Israelites have yet to actually come up against an actual adversary in a fight. Rivers don't punch back. So let's dive into this first part of my preach this morning, which I've entitled, The Wrong Question. We pick up the story on the eve of the Battle of Jericho. Joshua's out walking. Maybe he's on a prayer walk, I'm not sure. I'm sure he's feeling pretty nervous. There must have been a heck of a build-up to this moment in time for Joshua. Remember... 40 years previously, Joshua had been on this exact same spot in front of Jericho. He had gone in with 10 other spies and Caleb. They'd gone out to seek, spy out the land and see, and they'd come back to report. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two to say, yeah, it's going to be tough, but we can do it. We can take this promised land with God on our side. All other 10 spies are like, no way. The people are like giants. We've appeared like grasshoppers before them. There's no way we can do it. That's 40 years ago. Imagine the build-up for him to this moment. The only difference now is that Moses is no longer leading the people. Joshua is the one leading the people. He's got to put his money where his mouth is now. There's no river between him and this massive fortified city of Jericho. We're told it's one of the biggest, most fortified cities in the whole area. If they wanted to move into the Promised Land, this was one of the toughest routes to take to get into the Promised Land. And to add to all this, Joshua is probably about 80 years old now. Not exactly prime fighting material. (laughs) Still, he's out, out walking the night before the battle. And the way the text is written, it sounds like he's gotten really close up to the walls of Jericho. Let's see what it says here. In Joshua chapter 5, 13 to 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Not exactly the kind of thing you want to encounter the night before a big battle when you're 80 years old, you are the leader of your entire people and you've wandered off into enemy territory. That's me in that situation, I'm like, I'm out of here. Thankfully for us, Joshua is a man's man. He doesn't back down. Look what he says. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? See, the translation implies here that Joshua kind of gets in the guy's face, looking for a fight almost, you know, he's, are you on my side or not? And this is the response he gets. And he, that's the man with the sword, said, no. Kind of a weird answer, wasn't really a yes, no question. And this is where we kind of have to come back to my little teaser at the beginning. You see, Joshua's question, a lot like my question, maybe a lot like the question you might have in your heart, is, hey, God, are you on my side or not? Are you going to heal me from cancer or not, God? And what's the answer that Joshua gets? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. What does this no mean to Joshua's question? It sounds an awful lot like, well, you're asking the wrong question. See, the question is not so much, am I on your side, Joshua, but are you on my side? He's saying, I don't want to just come into your army, Joshua, as a lieutenant. I want to come in as the general. Let's see what Joshua responds. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And we need to take a brief aside here just to unpack who exactly is this commander of the Lord's army, okay? There have been a number of people over the time who have said that, well, this was maybe an angel of God commanding the army. But I think there's a problem with that statement for two reasons. One, throughout the Bible, angels notoriously don't allow themselves to be worshipped. We see most clearly in the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, verse 9, when John, who's actually the author of the book of Revelation, and he's been shown around these incredible visions by this angel throughout the book, John falls on his face to worship the angel. And the angel says, no, 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 don't worship me. Get up. I'm a created being, just like you. Worship God. So angels don't get worshipped in the Bible. That's number one. Number two, this commander, it's interesting, he says to Joshua, not, don't worship me, he says, take off your shoes. Where you're standing is holy ground, worship. Far from saying, don't worship me, he demands worship. See, this is what theologians would call a Christophany. That's a fancy word for an appearance of God in human form in the Old Testament. And to be specific, this Christophany is of Jesus, actually. Before he was born in a manger, thousands of years later, this is Jesus, always known as the commander of the army of the Lord, appearing to Joshua. And what does Jesus demand? He demands complete surrender, complete and total surrender. It's not whether I'm on your side, Joshua, it's whether or not you are on my side. You see, all of us approach Jesus in this way, this sort of flawed way that Joshua does initially, right? We'll come with an agenda initially. I'll become a Christian if you do this for me, if you can sort out this problem. Everybody does that. And even after we're saved, I mean, I found this, when we hit trials and temptations and difficulties, we become conditional, you know. God, will you help me with this if I stay a Christian, you know? Everyone comes to Christianity when they've got a problem. It's natural. I broke up with someone. I lost my job. I've been diagnosed with cancer. I need someone to help me live the life that I was already living pretty well on my own. I need an assistant. Come on in. Here's the thing. As long as you do that, as long as that's how you speak to Jesus, you don't really know who you're talking to at all. Let me use an illustration that um, Tim Keller gives. He says that um, if the distance from our planet Earth to the sun, which is 148 million kilometers, I looked it up, if that distance were just the width of the the, the the length of or the width of this single sheet of paper, then the distance from our planet to the next closest star would be a stack of these single papers 20 meters high, and the diameter of just our galaxy, which is one of millions of galaxies out there, the diameter of our galaxy would be a stack of these single pieces of paper 500 kilometers high. And Hebrews tells us that. Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. And that's who you want to ask to come into your life as an assistant, like a PA. Help me out with a couple things here, Jesus. See, if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything about my life. See, while I was lying in that hospital bed last year, praying over and over, Jesus, are you going to save me, you know? Can I make it through this? Will you heal me? Are you for me or against me, Jesus? What I was really saying was that, Jesus, I trust you completely if I get to live. Well, faith was dependent on God plus getting to live. And until I could hear him definitively say to me, no, take off your shoes and worship because the ground you're standing on is holy. I wasn't really allowing Jesus into my full situation. See, if you come to Jesus conditionally, if, if you say, I'll obey you if, you haven't really come to Jesus at all. If you say, I'll, I'll obey if, you are really still the Lord of your own little life. And what you're trying to do is recruit God into your army. And God says, no, 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 no. either I don't come in at all, or I come in as the general. See, we need to be asking the right question, am I on Jesus' side? Have I surrendered my life not only to the Jesus who loves me and the Jesus who can heal me, but the Jesus who is holy, who is all-powerful, who is just? That is a scary Jesus to me. It's not only warm and fuzzy. Yes, He's a great Savior, but man, He is not to be taken lightly. Have you fully surrendered to Him? Which brings me to my second point um, in how we do that, the courage to trust and obey So Jesus arrives as the commander of the Lord's army, and he gives Joshua a bunch of instructions on how the Israelites are going to defeat Jericho. Except the instructions that he gives Joshua are kind of weird. They're not really what you would expect. Let's read on. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. See, the instructions that God gives Joshua are pretty odd here. The Israelites, in case you didn't pick this up, they're amped up for a fight, man. They're ready to go. But God tells them, no, no, no. I want you to put the ark out in front, and then you're going to march. You're going to march once a day around the city for six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times. Then you're going to blow the trumpet, you're going to shout, and I'll take care of the rest. Imagine... This happened when the Springboks were playing the All Blacks, okay? Ellis Park is packed, 50,000 people screaming, the tension can be cut with a knife. The Springboks have just faced down the hawker, the ref blows his whistle, the All Blacks kick off the ball, and the Springboks all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's weird, right? Can you see this? They're pumped up for a fight. Joshua had been waiting 40 years for this fight. How hard must it have been for him? He wanted to prove himself, you know? God says, nope, no fighting, just walking. Wait, trust, and obey, and see what happens. See, God was trying to get into the Israelites' mind the idea that obedience is way more important than any sacrifice or action that we could perform for God. The Israelites were on the brink of entering this much bigger arena in their lives. The promised land, the thing they've been heading towards for years now. And there's a tendency when we enter this bigger arena sometimes of feeling like, man, I need like a special new power from God. I need something great and new and amazing. There's a movie from the late 80s. I want to quote, wouldn't be a Josh sermon if I didn't have a movie reference. Um, It's called Best Shot. And uh, it's based on a true story about this high school basketball team from Indiana. They're from this podunk town, way out in the sticks, never amounted to anything, and against all odds, this tiny farming community high school basketball team went all the way to the state championships. And it's incredible, the run that they had. And they catch a bus, and they're finally going to play the final game. It happens at Indiana University. and The day before the game, the coach takes the players, these young farm boys, into this just... Massive arena, and it's empty, and you can see these farm boys looking around, they're like, can't imagine the thousands of people who are going to come and watch them the next day play, and you can just see their hearts sinking. And the coach, who's played by Gene Hackman, fantastically, takes out a tape measure, and he says to a couple of the boys, hey, let's measure the distance from the floor up to the basketball ring. It's 10 feet. Now, let's measure from under the basketball ring to the three-point line, 15 feet. And he says, yeah. It's the exact same dimensions as our basketball gym back home in the barn. And you see the boys, man, they laugh, you know. Suddenly they realize what he's saying is, yes, there's a bigger arena. It might be much bigger, it might be intimidatingly large, but the basics of how we play basketball stay the same. Remember the golden thread of our series, God is faithful to fulfill His promises. To those who trust and courageously obey. The basics, trust and obey. They stay the same. Even as the Israelites enter this much bigger arena, facing a fortified city. These Israelites, they had no siege military experience. The only thing they were experienced in was being slaves and taking super long desert hikes. That's it. How are they possibly going to take on this massive fortified city? Yes, it's a whole new arena, but the basics of what it means to walk with God, to trust and obey, remain the same. For me and I, cancer was a whole new arena, man. It was just big. It felt like, yo, it's going to swallow us up. I don't know how we're going to get through this. Even after a lifetime of being a believer, it was so weird to me that my faith suddenly became almost theoretical. I needed some sort of new, bigger prayer, you know. I needed someone super holy to pray for me or speak in tongues or prophesy. something amazing to happen. But the reality is what I really needed was to walk close to my God and to trust and obey His commands. We all go through different auditoriums and scales and arenas. Maybe for you, it's trying to get pregnant. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's the beginning of a sickness. Maybe it's just depression, you know? The point is the arenas change, but none of the basics do. And sometimes you can feel like the fear and the pressure is going to just swallow me whole. I don't know how I'm going to do it. That's certainly how I felt with cancer. You know, do I have what it takes here? Can I make it in the season? God takes out His tape measure and He's like, look, basics remain the same. Throughout the book of Joshua, the primary thing that derails the Israelites From obedience is fear. To Joshua throughout the book, fear actually equals rebellion. You know what the amazing thing about the Bible is? The command that is repeated the most times throughout the Bible is fear not. Isn't that amazing? 366 times that command appears in the Bible. Which brings us perhaps to why God did the things the way He did them in the story. Put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites, okay? Especially of an Israelite warrior. You're expecting a fight. And God says, nope, you're not going to fight, you're going to march. He doesn't tell them. I mean, there's nothing in the text to tell us that Joshua communicated to the soldiers how long they would need to march for or when or what would happen after they're marching. They're just told to march. And while they're marching, nothing happens. God never tells them why. The only thing that happens is the soldiers on the wall keep laughing at them and mocking them each time they go around the city. Imagine these Israelite warriors going home at night, each night to their tent, to their wives. The wives are like, hey honey, how was your day? And The married men here will back me up. That is not a simple one-sentence-answered question, it requires a lot of detail. You need to unpack everything that happened during your day, how you felt about it, how you felt about the way that you felt that, there are lots of facial expressions involved. And you need to hear how her day was. What did these guys say? Well, I walked around the city once. Got my 10,000 steps in. <laughs> day two arrives. Hey, honey, how did it go? My big warrior, did you fight the bad men? <laughs> nope. Walked around the city again. They didn't see any progress until the last day. Why is God doing it this way? Well, because... What he wanted to do through them was not nearly as important as what he wanted to do in them. Let me say that again. What God wanted to do through the Israelites, which was defeat Jericho, was not as important as what he wanted to do in them, which was to teach them obedience. So this listen to him, trust, and obey. See, God wanted them less focused on the outcome and more focused on obedience. See, outcome is God's responsibility, Faithful obedience is your and my responsibility. Faithful obedience can feel kind of boring, (laughs) is the problem, right? It's the same old, same old, over and over, we are a culture obsessed with new, right? The new phone, the new app on my new phone, new clothes, new car, new house. New equals better, we think, not by God's metric. For God, it's not in the new, it's in the consistent. There's a pastor by the name of Daniel Floyd who puts it this way. He says, there is a power in same. Trusting and obeying over and over. And more than that, there is a compounding power in same over a long period of time. The reason Mornay Stain can step up for the Springboks in the final against the British and Irish Lions and kick a winning penalty from inside his half of the field is not because he stumbled upon some newfangled kicking technique. It's because he's been doing it the same over and over and over again, thousands of times in the decade leading up to that game. There's a power in the same. Thousands of coats of the same being applied to his life. Dave Randers has a Would he come back for me every time I moan to him about the fact that like, all my kids ever can learn to be polite and say, thank you, and please, or be kind to each other, or heaven forbid, have personal hygiene? Uh, And he says, Josh, you just keep applying the same coat of teaching to their lives over and over. You can't fix kids with a sledgehammer, whacking it in one time, man. You apply that same coat over and over, sometimes over years. And you see fruits start to manifest. You could be exciting. The same is powerful. And here's the real kicker. You know the God that we serve? He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that incredible? The God who parted the Red Sea for the Israelites when they left Egypt, the same God who went through them, the desert with them, the same God who parted the river Jordan, the same God who brought down the walls of Jericho, is the same God who walked with me through a year of cancer last year. He's the same. The problem with the same is that while you're doing it, while you're in the middle of it, you often don't see any progress. And this brings me to my third and final point, which is the faith to wait. See, as the Israelites were marching It doesn't say that the bricks like gradually came out one at a time each day or cracks appeared, you know. Nothing happened until the last day. I don't know about you, but I need to be able to see progress to remain motivated. If I'm going to go on a diet today, I need my clothes to fit me a little looser tomorrow. If I'm going to go work out of the gym, if I could just see my bicep growing in the mirror as I'm doing it, it could keep me motivated to keep going. But that's not how it works. It's not until hindsight that we see what God was doing that we couldn't see in the midst of being faithfully obedient. As they were walking, nothing might have been happening to the walls, but something was happening inside of them. You see, God doesn't really need us to accomplish anything. He can speak the whole universe into existence just like that. He doesn't need me to be up here preaching to you. He can use a donkey to do that. God doesn't need you at all, or me for that matter. So what we do for Him is not nearly as important as who we become while we are doing it. One of the most powerful things a friend shared with me last year when I was suffering and praying, he said, look, Josh, I'm praying for you. And and he said to me, don't focus so much on praying just for healing. It's a good thing to pray for healing, but pray for endurance in the season that you're in right now, pray to endure well. You know, there was another person who was incredible at endurance. We have this incredible picture of him in the scriptures. How he endured on our behalf. Let me read to you him, to you about him from Hebrews twelve one to three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's been put in front of us, marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, the greatest danger is that we'll quit. Stop waiting faithfully. What if the Israelites had stopped at day six? Hey, I would have. Nothing is happening. It's day two. The wall has not fallen down. The only thing that's happening is that guy keeps spitting on my head every time we come by here. What if you stopped at day six? See, faith is the ability to keep going even when you don't see results because you know the character of the God that you serve. And endurance is just faith Repeated over the long haul, over and over and over again, the same. That we hate waiting, right? On the phone to SARS, push one now. What's your ID number? Hold. Can I just speak to a human? Going to get your driver's license renewed. Waiting in these long, interminable lines. The worst is when you're flying somewhere to an airport. You get there. Now you're circling the airport in the air, waiting. Like, did they not know we were coming? You know, I can see it, it's right there. Give me a parachute, I could jump out. Where are you circling at the moment in your life? Don't give up. Your air traffic controller has got it under control. This is the hardest faith of all. The faith to wait. The time in your life when you can't see what God is doing. The circling of sickness, Singleness, infertility, being passed over for a promotion. Maybe it's just the circling of of praying for a loved one to be saved. Circling over and over. The difficulty with circling is that sometimes the wall doesn't fall down the way we thought it should, right? God had a different plan. I'm almost six months cancer free at the moment. And it seems like this amazing Hollywood ending to the story. You know, God defeated the Jericho of cancer in my life. But I could just as well not have survived. I might still not. I I go for blood tests once a month. You know, it's terrifying every time I go. But what I realized was that the wall that did come crumbling down in my life, and I pray that cancer was also one of them, but the real wall that came down for me, was feeling like I needed Jesus plus getting to be alive, to be able to trust Him. I'm not saying it's easy, but the idol of my own health, of getting to stay alive, has been revealed to me. And although I'm still working through the outworkings of that after cancer, I'd like to be able to say to Jesus that whether or not cancer comes back, I'm not going to stop. Shout it, your praise whether I die, or whether I get to live another 90 years. The sad thing about the book of Joshua is that as much as Joshua tries to lead the people in obedience, to trust and obey, ultimately they fail. They keep falling back into sin. Just like every other book in the Old Testament, the people keep falling back into sin. They just can't be consistent. It's a lot like us, to be perfectly honest. But the glorious news of the New Testament is that another Joshua would arrive. And he would give us the courage to obey all the way. Because this Joshua would show us in even clearer ways how he fights for us. And the city that stood in our way was not Jericho. It was the city of sin and the curse of death. And Jesus, which is really just Greek translation of the name Joshua, Jesus said, don't lift the finger You can't take this city of sin down. I will do it for you. And he went to the cross, and when he died, he shouted. And when he did, he knocked down not a wall of bricks and mortar, but a wall of eternal separation between us and God. And the sword of judgment that the commander of the Lord's army held, he turned on himself and pierced his own heart with for you and I. And he said, just watch and believe and keep shouting my worship. That's what it means to become a Christian. You shout, I believe that you paid the price for me, Jesus, on the cross, and that you've defeated death on my behalf, and the wall of separation between you and God comes down. And then for the rest of your life, you keep on shouting. You keep on trusting, obeying. I believe, I believe, I believe that if you defeated the greatest thing in my path, sin, When you defeated death for me, then you'll also help me to live as a faithful witness throughout my life. You'll help me to be a good dad. You'll help me to be a good husband. You'll help me to resist temptation. You'll help me when cancer comes back into my life to continue to shout, I believe and I love you and I'm here to trust and obey till the end. I will faithfully wait. And you can endure any season like that with joy and patience and victory. For the Christian life, is not you for Jesus. It's Jesus in you, for you, and then through you. We obtain victory in life and in these various seasons, not because of some new fangled battle strategy, but by the same, trusting and obeying and walk closely with him. Show me the pattern of your life, spending time in the word and time praying with him and time obeying him, and I'll show you a glorious future. All it takes for you to succeed in this season of your life, in any season of your life, is for you to surrender fully, to say to Jesus, you're the general, come in and take over. Then to have the courage to trust and obey and finally to have the patience to wait on God. Would you stand with me? I'd love to pray for us. Um, maybe you could just bow your heads, give yourself some privacy. Um, I just want to speak to you. If you care this morning and what I've been saying has resonated with you and you you feel like you can sense there's still a wall between you and your your heavenly father, that you haven't made a commitment to him, that he hasn't brought that, you haven't allowed him to bring that wall crashing down for you and you haven't experienced the intimacy of our heavenly father you never said yes I put my faith in you Jesus, in your death on the cross and your resurrection, that you've defeated death and sin for me I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him this morning Won't you slip your hand up? I just want to be able to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, I promise. If you're feeling that this morning, we want to pray with you. We want to love you. Thank you. I see that hand. We want to celebrate. Walls come tumbling down and we celebrate and we praise with you. Give you another minute. I see another hand over there. Thank you. Won't you pray with me? We're going to pray all together. Lord Jesus. This morning, I accept that you have defeated sin for me. I place my faith in you, Jesus. And I invite you to come into my life as the general. I surrender to you this morning. Thank you for the sacrifice you paid by dying on a cross for me. me. I love you. I I give my life to you this morning. Amen. 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 Um, We're going to take communion now. And um, why don't you start to make your way down to pick up the cups and a piece of the Cracker over here. As you do, I'm going to keep talking. Um, perhaps you're here this morning and, and you're circling something. Why don't you grab the elements, take them back to your seats. Um, I don't know what it is that you're circling, but I'm sure there's something. We all go through different seasons in our lives, and sometimes it can feel like, man, I've been circling this thing forever. Maybe it's recent, maybe it's over a lifetime, but the, the beautiful thing of the message this morning is that God is for us. He does want to see those walls come crumbling down in our lives, but He calls us to trust and obey Him. For that to be able to happen, and often what he 's doing in us, like I said, is more important than what he 's doing through us and um, Jesus left this incredible symbol of the lord 's Supper for us to remember him, remember him going to a cross to shed his blood for us to purchase the breakthrough for us that we can get in our lives and um, what we 're doing this morning is getting to remember that and As you come to the Lord's table this this morning to take this communion, can I encourage you to bring the thing that you're circling to Him and to ask Him to take care of it, but more than that, for Him to change your heart. Where are you looking for breakthrough in the wrong places and where are you failing to obey and trust Him over and over again and to faithfully, patiently wait? Maybe just take a moment silently by yourself right now and hand that thing over to him. He wants to take this burden for you and walk alongside you intimately. Let's just close our eyes and bring that to, to him this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning as people who've been redeemed by your blood. We get to remember a new covenant that you wrote in your own blood and your, body, your, your broken body for us. Won't you help people here this morning who've been circling the same issue over and over again? I pray for breakthrough in their lives, perhaps for the wall to come down in a certain way, or perhaps for their hearts to be changed. Help them to look up, to persevere, and to endure as they wait patiently for you, Father God. Thank you for the symbols that remind us to continue to remind each other to wait for when you will return one day. In glorious power and victory I pray for the two hands of the people who are saved this morning this morning as they come to you for the first time as sons and daughters running into your arms that you love them that you paid the ultimate price for them we celebrate that this morning Father God we take these elements declaring our love and our worship and our shout for our God on high let's take these elements together